2: Welcome to another episode here of the Talking Blues Podcast. I am Josh and I am joined by my two co-hosts, Peter and Alex, and it's been a while, but uh, today we're going to be having another guest on the podcast, so that's going to be exciting. Stay tuned for that. Obviously, you see him in the title, but um, we'll get to him in a little bit. He'll preview our Leeds United game, and obviously we'll talk about Everton with him, but first let's go through it. Obviously, the game happened. Um, a few days ago now when, when we're recording this podcast, but uh, I mean, we we got to get into it, right? Very strong game. One of the best if not the best games for Chelsea this season in the Premier League, especially 2-0 uh, against Everton. That obviously puts them a few points in front of them. Everton could have overlapped Chelsea into the top four if they won. So that was very strong for Chelsea and what a great performance by Kai Havertz making the start, and it looks like Thomas Tuchel is just an absolute genius with what he's doing with this team, right? He's putting guys in that we just don't expect. We have Marcus Alonzo making the start. He gets a goal, right, in, like, that first game that he starts in. And we have, like, all these players that no one really wants. Like, we don't think they're playing. They're not going to play or whatever it is. And then they come in out of nowhere, and they produce for the club. So I think it's very cool uh, that Kai Havertz was able to do what he did. I was not very high on him, so with – him having that performance, it very much helped my enthusiasm towards him. And I'll just start out with that since this game happened a while ago. I'll get my man of the match out of here and done with. Um, he's my man of the match. I think he had a very strong performance. Like I said, I'm repeating the same things over and over again. So, you know what, I'll send it over to one of you guys to break this one down.
0: Uh, I'll, I'll go first. I mean, it was against an Everton team that coming into the game, you realized that they were in form coming up of a few big games. They obviously had a game in hand and could have overlapped us, like you said. So it was very, it was a very, very important game—a six-point game, I think, is a good way to call it. We go three ahead, they go three behind, and I mean, we we basically now control our destiny. Is a good way of saying it for top four. When if we have good results throughout the rest of the season, we will get top four. We just we have to the only game that I mean I'm. I'm expecting that we lose against, let's say, Man City. But let's say we win the rest of those games. We have games against West Ham and Leicester City. I think those are the only two, and I think maybe one against Tottenham. I'm not sure, but I know we have West Ham and Leicester City left, and those are the and Man City, and those are the only top four. So West and West Ham, obviously being the biggest, because they can, uh, they're very close to us. They are really our only other challenge for the last top four spot now. So I mean. This game was huge because now if we win those games, we basically, assuming we perform well against all the other teams that are are in contention or with us for top four, we can get Champions League relatively easily. But that's not what the preview is. This is a recap of the game. And I mean, it was just a great performance all around. Everton didn't look good at all. They looked like they didn't ever get anything going. And I mean, it's basically the complete opposite for us. We literally had so many chances. Could have, Kai Avertz obviously performed well, could have had a goal, should have had a goal because that handball was kind of questionable. I mean, he got a goal even, might have been going wide, but he basically got a goal, won a penalty. I mean, he performed really well. And I mean, of course, it's the one time I don't put him in my lineup as a false nine that he actually plays as a false nine, but... I'm glad that he played nonetheless and he played really well. And I think I think he's beginning to I think Thomas Duca was smart with him, not putting him in and letting him just go to training, recover from his injuries, get his mental stuff right, and then start to slowly put him back in. And I think that might have helped him because now he's I mean, I can't say that he's they looked like he was worth 80 million, because I think that's pretty tough. But I mean he was definitely showing his potential and he showed how good he can be. And I mean, all around too, everybody else also played well. Uh, from the defense, we didn't bring in Tiago Silva because of how solid defensively we've been. And I mean, once again, we played very, very solid defensively. I'd say there's only one real chance for Everton the entire game that wasn't even on target. Uh, I mean, just great performance Great win. Kai Havertz is my man of the match because I think he just performed very well. Easily should have had two goals, maybe. And I'll give him the assist for the penalty. And I mean, just a great game. I do kind of wish Werner took the penalty though uh, for trying to boost his confidence because throughout the game, you could see towards the end when Everton went attacking, um, he got many chances. And I mean, I th- I don't know if it was his finishing or for. Pit- Pickford's great goalkeeping because many of our other players also missed huge chances, but I mean, I think he needs more confidence. He's getting it slowly back, but he still is missing that final final, like, touch. Like, that final, like, he's almost there. He just needs it. He's like, he just needs his edge back, and I think that's just something that's going to come as he plays more games and gets more chances, but we're yet to see that. But, like I said, great game, good win. I'll move on. I talked for a while.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Peter. Obviously, the game now a couple days ago. So, trying to refresh my memory here. Kind of was uh, watching back the highlights before we started. Um, and really just a solid game uh, for Chelsea. Obviously, a nice win. And like Peter mentioned, we, we have a tough schedule coming up in the home stretch, but nothing too crazy. Uh, I know there's some other teams that are kind of competing with us that actually have, you know, an easier run-in than us. So, that could be a bit of a problem. But right now, we're beating every team we... Face. So if we keep up that form, um, it shouldn't be a big deal at all. I really like Kai Havertz's performance. Um, you know, he played really well. I really like watching a false nine. You know, it it's kind of brings back memories of me watching Messi as a false nine with Barcelona. Um, and I always enjoyed, used, used to enjoy watching Pep. And now Pep doing that at uh, Man City again, uh, now with like Phil Foden play, and Bernardo Silva and players like that. So it's something interesting that Tuchel's implementing into the Premier League, and I'm really, you know, happy to see him doing it with Chelsea. And I think Kai Havertz is really the perfect player for that role. Um, so I'm really excited to see that. Uh, you know, I thought pretty much everyone played well. Christensen played well again. Um, and you know, everyone in the team's putting in a good shift. Um, you know, there's no one who's being outstandingly amazing. Everyone's just being solid, and we're all, you know, a team effort. Um, and that's how we're getting these wins. So. Um, you know, it's just it's just as uh, important as anything else. We don't need one person to be shining.
2: Yeah. And since we actually uh, took, the, I would say, like a week off from doing the podcast, a few days off here, there have been a few games happening with a Chelsea woman in the Chelsea Academy. And then there's some Chelsea news that we want to cover, um, kind of sad Chelsea news. But we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Obviously, let's get the happy stuff (laughs) out of here first. The Chelsea woman defeated the West Ham United woman in the English women's Super League 2-0. And they just keep on climbing. They don't even climb up the table. They're just climbing up in points at this this point in their table in the women's Super League. Now sitting in first very comfortably. Keep on saying it every week how they just get more and more comfortable there. Um, And then in the UEFA Champions League, or not the UEFA Champions League, the women's Champions League, Chelsea woman drew 1-1 with Oletico Madrid, but they won in the aggregate with a 3-1 score. Um, And this weekend on Sunday, they're going to be facing the Bristol City woman in the Continental Tires Cup final. So I'll be watching that and hopefully they get the win. Um, And hopefully them and Chelsea, the Chelsea men get to celebrate as long as the Chelsea Academy does well. And they're actually going to be playing today on Friday um, against the Everton Premier League 2 squad. They drew with Brighton 0-0 the other day. So, that's your little recap on the Chelsea woman and Chelsea Academy On to the sad, bad news that we have here. Um, it seems like Christian Pulisic's time with Chelsea is slowly coming to an end as he has not been playing um, recently with Thomas Tuchel. And like I was saying with like the Marcus Alonso stuff, Rudiger, Christensen, Kai Havertz, them starting, the Christian Pulisic has one, been one of the players that like kind of hasn't um, done so. And I think it's it's a little scary. Um, There was actually rumors when we are recording this today um, that Kingsley Coleman may be coming in for Chelsea. I feel like why would he do that? But whatever, it could be a possibility. There are some other rumors of of things that's going to happen with, I think it was Milan, but I I just, I don't know. I really don't know. It's just tough because obviously we are from the U.S., Chelsea fans, and when Christian Pulisic is like the number one, basically, uh US men's national team player and he plays for your favorite club Chelsea FC it's kind of hard to just deny that um it's 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 very tough so you know kind of your guys reactions to this what you want Christian to do what you think he'll do and and we'll go on from there
0: i mean i'll start talking about Coman i guess cuz i don't really want to talk about politics because it's all very iffy, but on, I definitely cannot see us signing him, even if I did see reports that we had like, great interest in signing him. I also can't see Bayan letting him go. He's a very, very key, uh, not key, because they have, obviously, they have Ganabri Sana, they have many very talented wingers, but I mean, he starts sometimes, and I, I mean, he always plays well, very fast, very technical, great uh, shooting ability. I mean, I'd. I mean, the reason why we have great interest in him is because he's very, very talented. But I don't, I don't think Bayern will let him go. But if they do, if they decide to, I think his contract expires soon. If they do decide to let him go, I'd be all for signing him, as long as it doesn't demote some other players to the bench. But I would be all for signing him. Then moving on to Christian Pulisic, I don't really like talking about like players that want to get transferred or don't want to get transferred because just look at our team now, right? Alonso, everybody said, okay, he's leaving at the end of the season. He's getting no game time. Rudiger, oh, he's getting no game time. Why would he resign? Oh, Giroud was going to leave last year. Oh, oh, he, he got some game time. He decided to stay till the end of the season. You don't know what's happening until it actually comes. Even Pulisic or his agent said that he wasn't even going to think about it until at the end of the season to see if like it continued. You know and I mean, you still have, what, like 10 to 15 games left in the season? And sure, he hasn't started much, but you can see that Tuchel's been very, very conservative with players, especially if they have any risk of re-injury or any knocks. And I mean, I think that just might be part of what it is. Like, an example, in Golo Kante, who got injured... A while ago, Tuchel still been saying how he wants to manage his minutes to make sure nothing happens. And I mean, I think it's going to be the same for Thiago Silva. I don't think we'll see him for a while because Tuchel wants to make sure he can't get re-injured. And I think that may be a part of what's happening with Christian Pulisic, where Tuchel is bringing him on as subs for a bit because he wants to work his way back to being fully fit, and, but doesn't want to have the risk of re-injury. But who knows? Only Christian Pulisic and Thomas Tuchel really know, and that's why I don't like to talk about it, because there's a Pool. There's a lot of games to play. There's a lot of time for Christian Pulisic to work his way back into the squad and not leave. But it would it would be sad to see him go. But if he doesn't get game time, I think that's the best move for him. But we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, so I, I agree with Peter about kind of not talking about, you know, transfer news. You never really know what happens until we get closer to the summer. So obviously, we'll be covering this more if any more news comes out, Obvious, uh, you know, about this. Coman coming in, it, it's not ideal. I feel like a winger is not really the thing that we need a lot right now, especially considering how we're playing at the moment in our three-back formation. I'm not sure, you know, Coman can't play in a three in the back, right? He's not going to be a wing back, So he'd have to be in that front three. And I think in that front three, we're really seeing, you know, who's going to be up there. And it's most likely going to be a combination of Werner, Mount, and Havertz, right? That's kind of the ideal front three that we're looking for. And hopefully, maybe by some miracle, Erling Holland in the summer, right? Um, but so that, that's what we're looking at. So I'm not sure if Coman really fits in above any of those guys. Yes, he's a natural winger, which would help because um, we wouldn't have any of them besides Hudson-Odoi on the bench. So he's definitely an interesting prospect, but I'm not sure, you know, if Byron would let him go, like Peter mentioned as well. Um, but that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Moving to the lineups for a Leeds game on, what is it, Saturday at 7.30 a.m. for us here on the East Coast in the U.S., which is not going to be fun. Early wake-ups, really, just not, it's not a good thing. Um, and 7.30, so that's 12.30 in the U.K. Um, for everyone viewing uh, from over there. Um, for my goalkeeper, I'm going to have Eduard Bendy. Um, in my back three, I'm going to have Asp Christensen, and Rudiger. Um, and that's going to be my back three for that game.
2: For me, uh, obviously Mendy and Net. I think that's pretty obvious. I always say that every time; it's pretty obvious, but whatever. Christensen, uh, I'm having at the like the left center back role. I think he played really well. He would have been like my second, my runner up to the man of the match last game against Everton. I have Thiago Silva making his return in this one. He was on the bench uh, last match against Everton. I think it's a big statement. I, I do, but I th- I think if there's any game. Um, to come back in, it would not be the Champions League game against Atletico Madrid. I think it would be now against League United to kind of get him ready and get him set up. And then maybe we start him for Champions League. Maybe we don't. I think no matter what, I think Thiago Silva plays in this game. It's either going to be a sub or a start is my guess. But I'm going with a start for Silva. And then right center back is going to be Asby.
0: For me, I, I think I said it. I said it when I was talking about the injury management to has. I don't think we'll see Tiago Silva for a while. Not not like a long, long time, but I don't think we'll see him for a few games. He might come back during. He might come back. I could see him coming back for the Champions League game, but I don't think he'll start today. I think Mendy will be at the back, and then Christensen, Rudiger, SP saw the defensive line, will stay intact again, and moving on to back four or wing backs midfielders whatever you want to say uh i think in the midfield we're gonna see it's leeds is a very attacking team they're very kind of like Liverpool is, and they have fast pacey players they want to get forward get forward get forward on the counter so i think we'll see a more defensive uh defensive kind of four i think we'll see chillwell on the left for pace I think we'll see Conte, uh, in, and I think we'll also see Kovacic just because I think he's very important to our midfield. And I think Reese James will start on the right just because I think that's purely just because I think Duku is going to want to go more defensive against a very good attacking team in Leeds.
1: So for me, uh, at my left wing back, I'm going to go with Ben Chilwell. Two midfielders, I'm going to go Conte and Jorginho. Um, and for my right wing back, I'm going to go Callum hudson Um Yeah, that, that's going to be my midfield four.
2: Callum hudson adoy basically the same thing as Alex. Callum hudson Doy, N'Golo Conte, Jorginho, Chilwell, front three, Mason Mount. I think Kai Havertz gets to start again at the right mid uh, position, and I think that's what's going to happen there. And then Olivier Giroud, starting at striker, Familiar face, goal score. We want him in the starting lineup. I do, at least. And that's my Chelsea lineup. I
0: think for the front three, I think most likely will save Giroud for the Champions League game. I think he'll start there. So I think we'll see Kai Havertz again as a false nine. I think Mason Mount will definitely come, again, uh, come in again after getting a break. And I think it's a toss-up for me between Christian Pulisic and Timo Werner, but I think I talked about it, how there's a whole season of well, there's a lot of season left to play and there's a lot of games for Polisic to make his way back into the starting line. So I think we might see him here. I think we'll see Pulisic on as like a left center mid, left wing, Mount as a right center mid, right wing, and Kaver- Havertz as a false nine.
1: Yeah, I I agree with Peter. Uh, you know, we, we've got, Kai Havertz is going to start at the false nine again, I believe. And I think that's going to be a really interesting to see how he does two games in a row there. And off of him, I think Mason Mount and Timo Werner uh, for me, I think you could see Christian Pulisic instead of Timo Werner. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that, um, but I- I'm gonna think that Tuchel sticks to his original plan. Not gonna feed into the drama that you know we see is going on with the rumors about him leaving, and he's gonna put his best lineup out there. Um, you know, and Leeds are not, you know, they, they they're a weird team, right? Some games they play extremely well, and they could beat any team in the Premier League, and sometimes they look like they should still be in the championship. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's all I have to say about, yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) I'm all confused right now about the lineup, about Christian Pulisic. I'm just really sad about the whole situation. Um, but hopefully it gets resolved and he'll be here for past this summer.
2: I'm going to go for a Chelsea win. I have another Chelsea win. I have a 2 0 Chelsea win, just like they did against Everton. I think they can do it against Leeds. Maybe get another goal. Um, and I forgot to say it, if you didn't know already. I don't know if Alex brought it up when he previewed it already. But Chelsea in the top four, we obviously said that already, with 50 points. Leicester City, if they don't win um, and Chelsea wins, they'll tie with them at, at 53 points. And then Leeds United, 35 points, sitting in 11th, tied in points with Wolves. Um, and then I had one little thing that I pulled up that I wanted to mention. Um, It was that Leeds have lost just one of their last nine Premier League home games against Chelsea with their first meeting since a 1-1 draw in December of 2003. And then I also found this one interesting. Um, Another like pre-match insight here is that Chelsea are also looking to secure their first league double over Leeds since the 1988-1989 campaign in the second tier, while the Blues allow a last one, Home and away against Leeds in the same top flight season back in 1936 1937. It's pretty crazy. Um, I'm going a little off topic here, Peter. Go ahead.
0: I do want to point out that stat. Point of that stat might be the fact that Leeds has not been in the Premier League for a long time. But <laughs> I won't say anything now because now if we lose, it's going to look bad. But I do also want to say I did predict the score. Right, I think. I think I did say it to no one for Chelsea last episode. So good on me. We don't need to talk about who I said would score the goals because I completely got that wrong. But I saw so this time I'm not gonna call my shots, but I think we'll get a I think we'll get a three-nil win this time. I think we're slowly, slowly, slowly getting better and better at going forward. And I think we're gonna hopefully get better at scoring our changes, and I think we'll get another goal, three 0 win. and I'll say Mason Mount will get a goal, even though I'm gonna regret that next episode.
1: Uh I'm gonna go for a three-one victory. I think Leeds will get a goal. Um, And I'm going to go for a Kai Havertz goal. That's my only prediction there. 3-1 Chelsea.
2: Nice score prediction, Alex. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe, drop a five-star rating, and review. Listen to our other podcast, The Giant Take Podcast. Really appreciate it. And then follow us on Twitter, at Talking Blues Pod. We have a link tree, too. So on our link tree and our Twitter bio, you can just go see wherever you want to listen. We're on most, if not all, the platforms. So we would really appreciate it. Check it out. Another episode coming this week. But this isn't the end of this episode, as we have a guest coming up in three two one we are now joined by a very special guest jay mcintosh he's the co-owner of the chelsea social and you can find them mainly on twitter and youtube obviously by the chelsea social um jay how's it going today man
3: yeah brother it's good it's good i just jumped off a live stream um been editing articles all day because you know the most of the stuff for the chelsea social and uh, the chelsea women's social ends up on the website so um the website's the main the main thing that we that we sort of do and that we run but yeah i'm good man i'm good i'm excited to talk chelsea with you boys you seem to be working hard with your with your podcast so i appreciate you uh asking me on but i'm good thank you
2: oh yeah we, we appreciate having you on yeah I mean, we're if...
1: excited to have you
2: on. <laughs> cutting me off alex um all right we'll edit that out <laughs> I,
1: can't, I, can't I love it i love it off. carry on
2: carry on you know what yeah maybe we'll just keep it actually we'll keep it we'll keep it right in here um yeah, well we'll just we'll just go from here. Um yeah, Jay, so you want to plug that? Is that just the Chelsea Social.com?
3: Uh yeah, yeah, Chelsea com. If you're if you follow following me on Twitter or, or you know, or Elizabeth or any of the others that, that help help me run it and own it and jam, obviously you'll you'll just find it there. Just click on the links. I'm sure you'll see it at some point with you put an awful lot out, so you'll see it eventually.
2: So I guess I'll just start out by asking you, you know, we we talked about it in the intro just before you hopped on here. The Everton match, right? I I started out this episode by saying it might have been the best Chelsea match I've seen this whole season, if not their best match in the Premier League. You know, what were your initial thoughts after that one ended?
3: I you know, I said on a live stream, that I, and I, I just said it, I totally forgot that it was on. Um, obviously, shameless plug. I don't know if you've had him on already, but myself and Daniel Charles do a, a podcast as well, and we spoke about spoke about the game and it being sort of a bit too easy there was no real aggression from Everton or or perhaps another way to view it is is that the way that the system is currently operating under under Thomas Dukin is that it takes the sting out of teams. Therefore, the club are able to highlight the weaknesses of whichever opposition we're playing and, and then isolate them and, and suffocate them at the same time. And, and it means that their danger areas on the pitch, their danger players, are uh, nullified more often than not. And, you know, I was... I was concerned that Richarlison, who is on good form, six goals and six games, was going to is going to be an issue. I was concerned that Calvert-Lewin was going to be an issue. I thought their midfield was weak. I think Gomez is rubbish. Um, Anand's all right. I think Holgate's one of the worst fullbacks in the Premier League, so I knew that we were going to exploit him as well. Pickford's obviously iffy, but he's come into a bit of good form, so I, w- I was confident. But it's Everton, and, and it's a big game, and you know I, I currently live in Liverpool. I'm not from here, but it's, it's where I live, so it's always good to. To, to get two wins in Merseyside so you can just uh, you got bragging rights over everyone really but it, it was a comfortable game it was it, yeah man it, that, that's what it was it was comfortable it was it's it's different it's weird seeing Chelsea play this way where everything's so smooth and there's no issues at the moment and I've not really seen that in the last 5-10 years if I'm honest it seems as though what what's going on at the moment and what Tuchel's doing is he's just putting the right people in the right places and And everything's going smoothly.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we saw a bit of a change-up, right, in this last game with Kai Havertz coming in. We were kind of all a little bit surprised to see him in the starting lineup. Um, And and it was interesting, right? We didn't really know where he was going to play. And he played kind of in that false nine role that we've been seeing Guardiola use a lot this season with, you know, either Foden or Bernardo Silva as well. So it was kind of cool to see that being used. Um, And he kind of fits that, the bill of what, you know, A player in that position should be like and you know he even played that position a little bit at um, Leverkusen back in Germany as well so I was excited to see him there and he definitely seemed like he was more comfortable in that position than we've seen him you know before under Lampard either on the wing uh, a little bit deeper in midfield Um, so just wanted to get your thoughts on his performance and how um, you know he might develop in that position.
3: Yeah his performance was good active uh, physical, which is nice because he's been pretty rubbish since we've uh, signed him. I wasn't particularly uh, keen on the signing when we were rumoured with him because I don't think he's as good as people say he is or I don't think he was as good as people say he was at, at Leverkusen. He he was definitely a decent player, but you know when you put his attacking numbers up, up against Sancho, for example, there's really only one winner um, and that was Sancho. But when, obviously when a player joins your club, you want to support him and, and Kai clearly has the facility to develop into a world-class player and, and everyone's acutely aware of that. It's it's taken him a long time to to get used to the league, to get over the effects of long COVID. That was his first start since uh, January 2020. So it's over a year since he's um started in the Premier League as well, which is troubling to say the least, but it's I think an extended break can help a young player because there's a lot of things going on outside of the world of football that, you know, he needed to sort out and, and integrate within the team and, and the society cuz England's a different place to, to Germany and and the culture of football I think you can you can understand when you're from outside of England what the what the culture is like but you can't fully understand until you're here uh, and when you are here it's it's just a different level of intensity I think and and Chelsea's a a different breed of club to buy Leverkusen and and the responsibility on Kai Havertz is serious and you know I know from people inside the club that Kai Havertz is the player that the, the hierarchy want the team to be built around over the next five to ten seasons so he has a lot of um, expectation on his shoulders and for that he needs to start performing and you know it looked very very positive against a, a physical Everton team the, the most impressive thing for me was his disallowed goal the handball was because I, I'm a big fan of Ben Godfrey I think he should go to the Euros of England and Kai, Kai was able to find himself in, in space in the box which is an impressive skill regardless also to to Bring the ball down, control it, you know, perfectly, and then and then finish off. Being surrounded by Keenan Godfrey, who are, who are physical English centre backs, and that was really impressive. He he was charging around, he was running, he was active, and all that we need to do now is if we can see that on a consistent basis in that position as well, then I think we'll be fine, and and perhaps we won't even need to buy a striker.
2: We've had a discussion and a debate on this podcast, um, not with us, but I guess just with. How we feel about it, VAR, right? That that's one thing that disallowed Team of Werner's goal. That's one thing that disallowed, obviously, this Havertz goal recently. It's it is really annoying, and, and I mean, it's kind of disturbing the the game of football. I mean, obviously, it's like Alex, whatever you were saying, you were. I think you used the example with Werner's goal. If he clipped his nails that morning, he might have gotten the goal, you know, allowed or something like that it's it's really tough. And I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, you know, if you like it, if you don't like it, and what you think it's done for the game. Um, I don't like it currently, but
3: I like the idea of it. I don't think it's VAR that's necessarily the issue. I think, you know, the, the fundamental reason that there's so much debate is because the rules are, are murky and no one can really understand what's going on. And and that's the way it is. With with the offside rule, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious how it should be, in my opinion. I, I think it shouldn't, it should only be offside if a, if a part of your body where you can score from legally uh, is offside then that counts offside if your arm is offside I, I I don't think that should be offside because you can't score with your arm so it's kind of a, a useless limb in, in that aspect so it, it doesn't make much sense but we're not the only team to have uh, suffered from the effects of VAR everyone has uh, and it's about you know IFAB and, and everyone else making sure that they, they get the rules clear and I mean crystal clear so that there's there's no confusion and and people are able to to understand very easily what the rules are and Timo if, if Timo knows to be onside and he knows that your arm is going to be counted as off you know as um as offside if you're there so that's something he needs to work on I'm a big fan of Timo personally he takes a lot of criticism but I think he's a very good player and he's got a lot to offer us uh, I think next season will be a completely different season for him but yeah it is frustrating but you know, VAR has done a few things in the game that have really benefited everyone. Have you know tried to eliminate human error, which is not always possible because VAR is run by humans, and it is it's a decision of certain people to, to you know make certain calls. But I think once the rules are cleared up and you know things like that are done, then then VAR should be there. I just think at the moment it's it's completely over relied on, and and it's it bases itself on the premises of unclear rules, which doesn't help anyone
1: yeah for me when i when i look at var i think the whole point the bad part about it i think it's not var itself that's the problem i think it's just uncovered like you said all the other problems with the rules um in the game that need to be changed and, not, and need to be clarified um and i think it's really just done that more than you know people look for the easy easy solution they're like ah, oh, just get rid of var but that's not really the problem um And, and, you know, it kind of bugs me, you know, when Timo Werner was called offside there, you know, it annoys me because I feel like it definitely stops the free flow of the game. Um, And, you know, when the referee has to stand there for five minutes and, you know, then he walks over to the monitor um, and has to, you know, make a decision there. I'm not, you know, against the referee having more points of view to make the correct decision. But, you know, one thing that really bugs me lately, I know a lot of people uh, are bugged by this, is that. The linesman doesn't, you know, call for offside. Someone could be 20 yards offside and the linesman won't raise his flag until the play, you know, is kind of over. If there's any chance of a goal scoring opportunity. And it's like, come on, like you're wasting like 30 minutes, 30 seconds to a minute there. Um, And it's I I don't know. How do you feel about that? That's always one thing that bugs me.
3: Yeah, I quite like it, to be honest. Just obviously, if it's glaring, then. It's kind of it's kind of silly, but I think that's the same with any sort of issue in in any sort of sport. If 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 something is so glaring that it's obvious to everyone watching, then obviously that's that's due for criticism. But I like the fact that the the flag is not raised in close calls to allow the attacking play to continue just for the benefit of the doubt. the attackers. Because I bang on about this a lot that that the way we microanalyse football, and I'm guilty of this with the platforms I run and you know a lot of the people that I work with and you know work for me and work with me is is we microanalyze football to such a, a tiny tiny level that actually football is an entertainment sport it's it doesn't it's not always hyper competitive that's why there are certain players and you know I don't know how old you boys are but I'm 23 and there are certain players that bring so much joy to the game that it's there's almost no point applying statistics to them and whether they have good good stats or not, you know, there's sometimes microanalysis doesn't need to take place on such a such a minute and, you know, acutely tiny scale. So that's why I'm kind of okay with the flag being left down to facilitate and allow attacking play and attackers to benefit because, you know, we watch football because we like scoring goals and we like seeing beautiful play. And if the flag's raised too early, it's gonna prevent those things and and that stops a a possible fair goal, even if the chances are it's not going to be fair. So I I, I don't mind it. I think that's one of the okay things that's going on at the moment. But I can definitely understand, uh, Alex, I can understand your frustration, mate.
1: And, you know, you mentioned one other thing that really interests me lately is statistics, right? Obviously, they're becoming more and more prevalent. And, you know, you look at certain players who maybe don't have the numbers that maybe if you don't watch them fully and, you know, you, you don't understand how good of a player they are you know, when it comes to mine, for example, for me, Mason Mount, right? He does not put up, you know, maybe the assist and goal numbers that maybe someone like Bruno Fernandez or Kevin De Bruyne does, but not saying he's up to that, the par of those players, but I feel like some people are using stats, like overusing stats, right? There's certain stats that are definitely helpful, but I feel like there's certain stats that you just can't, you that you can't base a player off on off of unless you actually watch the game. Um I guess your thoughts on that and you know the use of statistics obviously when you're writing articles um you know about different players and about the games you have to use statistics, right? Um is there any like statistics that you prefer using over others?
3: Um do you know what mate, to be honest with you I I end up editing a lot of articles now cuz that's the fortunate position I'm in. I I, I miss writing writing articles but uh, maybe one day i'll have more of a chance to, to do it when people can edit themselves but fortunately i'm i'm the owner so i have to, to edit a lot with my my editing team but i think the the mason mount point you've raised is interesting and i've tweeted about this and you know whenever i tweet about mason mount it seems to get one to five thousand likes and loads of retweets and engagement so evidently he's a he's a hot talking point and uh and i i basically said you know you can't compare someone like mason mount against you know bruno fernandez or de bruyne uh stat for stat, because Mount's played six positions this season, whereas De Bruyne and Fernandes have played one. So when, when a player is like that and, you know, they they play to a high standard all around the the pitch, their numbers are going to differ because they're there to to fill a gap and be influential there and, and do what they have to do. And Mason Mount is very much that player. You know, he's, he's evidently Chelsea's player of the season. I think that's unarguable, if I'm honest. Um, I like XG. I like XG against. I like XA. I think those things are really helpful because it gives you a decent barometer of how teams are performing. And and more often than not, um, you know, those stats begin to bear out over the course of a season, which is uh, nice to see. It doesn't always happen. There are teams like Burnley that's, you know, consistently um, managed to just bypass xg completely and and stay up and their expected points i'd always recommend people taking a look at the expected points tables as well because that perhaps gives you a clear indication of how teams are performing despite results not going their way um brighton are are the perfect team this year they really really could be a top 10 premier league team based off performances but their lack of finishing has cost them but their expected points expected goals should they should be achieving much better than what they're doing so i think those stats are really good um Stats with centre backs, I don't really rate them as much as I do with strikers, for example, because there's a lot more that goes into being a centre back that is quite hard to gauge statistically. And also, if you play for a weaker side, you're almost certainly going to put up more tackles and interceptions. Doesn't mean you're a better defender, just means you're playing a worse team. So, uh, those stats might not always be fair. Whereas, attackers, you know, scoring goals is, is scoring goals. So, that, that matters whoever you're playing against you know what I mean they, they might not fluctuate just to the same extent but stats are great they're really useful and and when they're used correctly um, you know I mentioned obviously I live in Liverpool so I'm doing my master's my PhD at the moment and Liverpool's analytics department are the reason why they've been such a success over the last five years is because they managed to find talent and that people weren't looking at. You know, Salah, people were looking at, but no one was taken seriously and they bought him. Same with with Firmino, who was doing amazing at Hoffenheim at the time. And, you know, even Mane at Southampton, I remember Mane playing for Southampton. I remember watching him play. He scored the fastest hat-trick in Premier League history. And even then, I I didn't see him becoming a Champions League winning, you know, top five in the Ballon d'Or player. I just didn't. And, you know, but I didn't look at the stats the same way they did. And that's how they've been doing things. And evidently, why Jordan Henderson's had such a good time as well, because he almost always in the top 5 in Europe for for balls into the final third and and when you put players who put up certain statistics in specific places on the pitch and they function well together you're going to have an amazing team and and that's what Klopp's managed to do at Liverpool and and that's that's proof that when you get statistical analysis correct and and uh, the team structure bang on then you can you can be the
2: best team in the world for two to three years Going on to another attacking player, I guess attacking a winger, Christian Pulisic, Captain America for us um, here, obviously one of the best is not the best like U S men's national team players. And we were so excited for him going into the season. He was given the number 10 after having 22. And obviously we know what players have, have worn that Jersey. So it's been, it's just, we had such high hopes under Frank Lampard. He was starting most games, not every game, right. He was a starting number, um, you know, starting player, I should say. And then, you know everything's fine. He's had the injuries that he's obviously battled. Looks like he's kind of injury prone. And we have Thomas Tuchel coming in uh, replacing Frank Lampard. Okay, you know that's also good for Christian because he used to manage him. So maybe they have some relationship there. And now we're just seeing you know Pulisic just not being placed in the game, whether it's because he's injured, because you know he's not liked by the by the uh, player uh, not the player. Sorry, the Chelsea staff like uh, Tuchel or Thomas Tuchel. Sorry, doesn't like to to put him in. And now we're seeing that it looks like he's going to, you know, be sent away somewhere. And I just, I don't know what's going on. We mentioned in the intro, actually, that Kingsley coleman has been rumored to come to Chelsea in replacement of Christian Pulisic. That's a little crazy and out there. Um, just your thoughts on that. Do you think we should, you know, send him away somewhere? Do you think if we do, who's a good replacement to kind of bring into Chelsea um, and, and, you know, some some stuff like that?
3: Yeah, I hear you. Um... Okay, firstly, I I know for a fact that Tuchel does like him, so that's not an issue. You know the the thing is is again, I, I, like I said, I don't know how old you boys are, so I don't know how much Chelsea you've watched over the years. But I got christened in a Chelsea kit, for example. It's it's the the way my entire family is. Um, so I've been a Chelsea fan since nineteen ninety seven, and 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 the the culture and the way that the club is is we not only have the best players, but we consistently bring the best players in. And if you can't rise to the top, then you don't make it. And that's what it is at every elite club. You look at Bayern Munich, do thing. you look at Galacticos, Real Madrid, you look at Barcelona of, you know, between 2008 and 2015, pretty much. The best teams are filled with best talent. And then also you have those, that's when a mentality comes in. And that's why people like Mason Mount are going to rise to the top because their mentality is pretty much unbreakable. Pulisic is a tough one because he's just injury prone and he needs to be taken care of. That's all it is. It's it's given him time to not only recover but to build extra muscle and strength, which just takes time. and And there's no way he gets into the team above Mason Mount this season. There just isn't. There's no way he gets in above Hudson Odoi, who carries the ball into the box from outside the box more than any other player in Europe this season. He doesn't get above Kai because Kai's been paid for, and he's you know the the board star boy. And Werner is a nuisance whenever he plays. and You know, that's both a a, a good thing for Pulisic because it gives him time to recover and doesn't need to be rushed back, but it also means that he's going to have to fight for his spot. Uh, When he does, I I don't think he'll go. I think if anyone's going to go, it'll be Ziek, because ziek has been a bit of a car crash, uh, unfortunately. I always thought he should have been a number 10, not out on the right, but, you know, that's just my opinion. In terms of replacements for Pulisic, Kingsley Coman's a terrible shout because he's just as injury-prone. He's an exceptional footballer, like Pulisic, but he's just injury-prone. Um, and then it depends what you wanna do with that position. Do you wanna fill it with a superstar that's gonna start, or do you wanna fill it with someone who has, you know, elite potential perhaps and, and can grow into that position and compete with the players that are already there? That's that's where you go because obviously if you if you're gonna buy a winger to replace Pulisic, you buy Jaden Sancho, if you can. Because there's no better winger to buy. That's strikingly obvious. But if you're gonna buy a player that, you know, can can replace Pulisic and and fight for his his spot in the team but you know not be guaranteed a start then uh, I'm a a really big fan of of Pedro Neto I think he's a he's an outstanding young player he's he's massively overlooked and he's only 20 years old and he's playing regularly in the Premier League and playing really well at Wolves he's someone I really like and then and then replacements around Europe are tough. I like Saboslai but he's he's obviously at Leipzig and he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon if you look around the Premier League you know that's that's tough because most of the top talents are top teams, and they're not going to want to sell to us. So obviously, that makes that does make Sancho the the standout. I I, I think Vinicius Junior is rubbish, so I'd never go for him. Uh, Rodrigo's all right, but I wouldn't go for him either. He's better than Vinicius. Vinicius is arguably the most overrated player in Europe besides Adama Traore, in my opinion. Um, so you know, there's there's little talent out there that's already at a top top level and that is available because you know if you want a left winger that's going to start you maybe go for a Yazabal out of um Real Sociedad who's just a he's he's a world-class football player he really is and he's perhaps not getting the the love he should at Sociedad but he'll go to a big team and and he'll thrive and that's exactly why Man City offered 70 mil for him and, and they got got that rejected um but yeah, finding talent is never easy. Hakimi again is another another one that I see linked. But he, I watch every Inter Milan game. I'm a big Inter Milan. You know, I, I like Inter Milan. I like watching other leagues. I watch Union Berlin as much as possible, and I watch Inter Milan as much as possible just to give me a break from constantly daily working and talking about Chelsea. Um, Hakimi's Hakimi's amazing, but he plays on the right. And he plays the wing back, and obviously, he he may. I think he's a better player than Rhys James at the moment. But there's no way I don't want Rhys James in that team. So. Finding someone to to replace Pulisic with is is very hard, and and I look at the youth team and the standout players in the youth team. They don't play where Pulisic plays, so it, it to me it doesn't make much sense to sell someone that's uh, got that much potential, but is just struggling with injuries. It makes sense to give him time to rest, recover, build strength, and and go again because he's a, he's exactly the type of player we need in uh, you know across a long season when if if you play all the games you want, you're going to play over sixty games a season and. No one's going to play every game. And, and yeah, man, that's my thoughts on Pulisic. And it's obviously a shame for you, American lot, because he's your best player of our mile. I think, anyway, I think Dest is decent as well. But but yeah, it's, it's a shame, but he'll be fine.
1: Yeah, hopefully he will. Um, so going to a bigger debate, I guess, outside of Chelsea. So we're, we're 16, right? So we, we've been around for this debate for all our lives um, when we've been watching football. Ronaldo and Messi right it's come to the forefront lately especially the last you know couple days during these two Champions League matches obviously both of their teams knocked out so um you know doing a little bit of opposition research into your Twitter feed um here you said missing Mrs. Penn on purpose just to (laughs) score screamers level above Ronaldo
3: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
1: so you know he did score a screamer he Mm. did miss a penalty so is, is that what he did? Like, what's your whole opinion? I mean, obviously clearly you're uh, definitely have a strong opinion in this uh, debate.
3: Yeah. So, but I just, I just find it funny to wind people up on Twitter sometimes. It's, it's it's, it's going to be weird. I only, I only started work on Twitter about a year ago. Um, I only started my Twitter account about a year ago and I had the idea that I was going to get into journalism that way. And I've been very fortunate enough that that's the way it's worked for me. Um, I've been supported by people from the beginning and luckily met the right people. You know, I've been very supported by Dami, Alex Goldberg, Simon Phillips, all the people that, you know, I now chat to you regularly on WhatsApp and, and we have a good a good friendships. And I've been very fortunate to fall straight into that place. And a lot of people don't have the chances and opportunities that I get. But, you know, what comes with, with support from those people is inevitably if your content's good and, and you're consistent and people like your opinions as you get followers. And obviously recently I just just breach 5000 which is always a nice little milestone but it means that people aren't going to necessarily agree with what you say too often and and I find sometimes with polarizing debates it's quite nice just to wind some people up if I'm sat there chilling after work and after a long day after uni as well um yeah I think I think Messi's a better player than Ronaldo but I'm not gonna you know scream and, and argue with someone who disagrees I think at the end of the day, it's it's an aesthetic choice because there's enough arguments to be made on both sides. It's it's simply that I get more joy from watching Messi than I do Ronaldo, and with two players that are that good, that's where that's where it falls to me. Um, Messi, I think, is the best player of all time. But if I was going to make like a superstar eleven, he wouldn't be the first name in the team for me because there are players that simply give me more joy to watch and. That's what I think is a the fundamental part of football that perhaps gets lost these days. And what we spoke about, you know, slightly earlier, um, I would I would pick Brazilian Ronaldo first and foremost. He would be the first player in my team. Uh, then I'd pick Frank Lampard, and then I'd pick Ronaldinho, and then I'd pick Messi. Um, but Messi, I think, is the best player of all time. Um, but you know, there are there are arguments for Cruyff, there are arguments for Maradona, Pele, Ronaldo, both of them, Zidane as well, and and they're all strong arguments. And I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to what gives you the most viewing pleasure because, you know, that's, that's really where it lies because all of those players have just as much claim as the others, really, in in my opinion.
2: Jay, we thank you so much for your time. And I mean, very much appreciated. We really appreciate it that you, that you came on, but just before you go, you were mentioning to me that you have some TV appearances today. Where can we find you?
3: Yeah. So I'll be on the Premier League today today, um, TV show. uh, That's on in the U S Canada, South Africa, India, uh, I'll be on there around 6.15 UK time so whatever that is wherever you guys are I think it might be on NBC in the US I'm going to be talking about Chelsea and we're talking about Jorginho um, I've, following in the footsteps of my very good friend Elizabeth Helenek, who's been on there quite a few times now um, her and I are obviously really good friends and yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it man so that's where you can you can see me tonight for me whatever time it is for you guys.
2: Yeah, so that would be that would be 115. So everyone go check it out NBC 115 Premier League Premier League live is that what that is? Premier League Premier Today League Show. League, Premier League Today Show on NBCSN I'm guessing that's where it's going to be that's where all of our yeah. all of our Premier League news are. You can follow Jay on Twitter at JJ McIntosh or Macintosh 5 and then obviously the Chelsea FC social on Twitter, Chelsea FC Women's Social as well, and then go subscribe to them on YouTube. They do content on there all the time. Um, And I love watching you guys. So really, really love it. Um, So yeah, Jay, thank you so much for coming on. We'll see you guys for our next episode of the Talking Blues Podcast. Wherever you're listening, subscribe. And then follow us on Twitter at Talking Blues Pod. We really appreciate that as well. See you all next time for a Chelsea recap against Leeds United. See you later.